take your scriptures, please, and turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. While you find that, I want to remind the ladies that tomorrow evening would be your final of 10 weeks of Monday evening Bible study on the book of Esther. And uh, my wife asked that I remind the ladies who are part of that group that tomorrow evening is uh, salty and sweet, meaning you bring something along for a little fellowship time of one item being salty and the other being sweet. And what has happened is uh, we guys who come from Monday evening prayer get the crumbs that fall off the salt, salty and sweet table. So think about us, ladies. We'll not be bringing anything but our mouths and other things. So here we are in the third of a series of lessons this morning entitled In the Last Days. On the first of these lessons, I said to you uh, that these times dictate that we understand what God is saying in light of world news and world events and our personal lives. And on the first of series of lessons, I spoke about seven signs and behaviors that point to the coming of the Lord. Last week, I spoke to you on Israel and Israel's role in the last day's event. And I want to take off on a popular song, not spiritual, but I'm going to title today's lesson, What's Oil Got to Do With It? How does oil relate to the coming of the Lord? And I will ask you to, if you'll stay connected with me, there's quite a bit of information I want to give you at the front, maybe in the middle also, but I'm going to a certain place. So if you'll indulge me for the first part of this lesson, maybe even the middle part, to be a teacher and try to control my whoop glories, I'll get to it at the right place. But follow me because I'm taking you to a place of a better understanding as the Lord has helped me to find and study in preparation this week. Now, in order to introduce this, this lesson, I think about when I, we first discovered television in Trinidad and I was a, just a little boy and it was black and white and it was like the early 60s and that doesn't mean I came off the ark with Noah, okay? <laughs> but when, when television first came to Trinidad, it was like three hours a day of programming from about six to nine in the evening. And the only person that had a television in our community was uh, an aunt of my mom. And uh, we'd go over there, and it was in the days when television was worth the time. You might know what I mean. It's in days when you could watch television with your family, and you didn't have to tell your child, put their finger in their ear for something that was said or going to be said, or cover their eyes. Now television, in many fronts, is not even appropriate for adults. But, but there was this show that called The Beverly Hillbillies. I know you were expecting something profound. I know. It'll come later. Do you remember the little ditty, the little theme song that went with the Beverly Hillbillies? All of you probably know it. And when I start reciting it, it'll come back to you. It goes something like this. Come and listen to my story about a man named Jed, the poor mountaineer who kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food and up from the ground came a, yes, oil. Texas tea. That's as far as we're going. Black gold. The sitcom plays on the fact that discovering oil on one's property means becoming instantly wealthy. It meant that for Jed Clampett and his family, per the sitcom Beverly Hillbillies. And if it meant it then, it means it even more. If you could discover oil on your property, you got your way paid for the rest of your natural life. 
Because oil has come, become the greatest, most necessary commodity by way of natural resource of every industrialized nation. And the story for us, for we here in America, about this thing about what oil has got to do with it, began actually on August 27, 1859, when a man by the name of Edward Drake launched the modern petroleum industry by drilling a 69.5 foot deep oil well near Titusville, Pennsylvania. Edward Drake's drilling marked the first well dug for the purpose of extracting oil from the ground. Oil had been actually found and used on our continent much earlier than this date because even before Christopher Columbus was accredited with discovering America, Native Americans in the places of their tribes and dwelling had often seen oil seeping from the rocks and they would use it for medicine and trading with neighboring tribes. But if we could fast forward, and we're going to, for the sake of time, into the 21st century, and we could move from August 27, 1859, to May 3, 2009, what we will discover is how rapidly man's thirst for oil has increased. Because presently, in the 21st century, we as a civilization and nations around the world use as much as 86 million barrels of oil per day. That means that oil is being produced at the rate of 1,000 barrels per second with this kind of consumption. We're also told that the expectation of our need for oil in the world in the year 2015 will be 98.5 million barrels. Last year, we as a society and our world crossed the psychological and financial barrier of the price of oil by exceeding the price of oil per barrel to be more than $100 a barrel. Many felt like it would never get that high. But last year, and you remember because it's not been so long, oil per barrel cost $150. Those who keep the numbers tell us that oil prices have quintupled in the past six years. And therefore it's safe to say that oil is the new gold, black gold in the world's economy. And get this, more than any factor other than the nation of Israel, oil holds the key to the prophetic events of the future. Oil, church, explains why the Bible focuses its end time attention on the Middle East. The demand for oil in America has outstripped our capacity to produce black gold. For many other nations like America who have some reserves of oil, we are using more than we produce. Therefore, since the discovery of huge supplies of oil in the Middle Eastern countries some decades ago, all of the world attention has now focused on the Middle East. I think it's because oil is the stuff of life. Let me explain. It has become the new basis for the world economy. It is the resource most highly valued by the industrialized and emerging nations of the world. 
I would go as far to say this, that oil has become a tool and perhaps a weapon of many nations. Because there are nations who have an overabundance of supply of oil and they know other nations need it. And as a result of wanting to get their way and have their demands met, they have used oil as a weapon and a tool for getting their desires. The question for us is what does this tell you about coming events and the coming of the Lord? And then that takes you now to where you've turned in your scriptures to Luke chapter 12 beginning at verse 54. These are the words of Jesus. Then he also said to the multitudes... Verse 54, when you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather, and there is. Then he says to them, he calls them hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern the times? Jesus criticized the Jewish leaders of his days for not being able to discern the signs of the time they lived in. He said, you can look at the the springtime and see the blossoms of the flowers and the trees and know spring is coming. You can look at the fall season and when the leaves start falling and things begin to change and you know fall is coming and winter will follow. You can look at the sky and predict the weather. And you religious leaders, you've heard the prophets and you've recited the words of the prophets and you knew the promise of the Messiah and the Messiah is already here and yet you cannot even discern it. And what I would say to America this morning, and that would mean me and you, that if Jesus Christ were to come today, it should not take any of us by surprise because we've been so exposed to the gospel and the message of His coming and prophetic events and signs and news events and world events and preachers and teachers and moms and dads telling most of us all of our lives and many of us who are not as, as long-term Christians as others, we have heard that the Lord is coming again. He's not going to tell us the exact day or the hour, that they, but there'll be signs in the earth and in the heavens and beneath the earth and in the world events and therefore we have no excuse for not being ready if the Lord comes today. Go ahead and give the Lord praise because that's the truth. But I want to show you another sign. I want to speak about oil and I want to begin with this concern. The control of the world's oil supply. The question then is where is all the oil? And then a little research that you can do also to get some of the most up-to-date numbers. And the most recent I can get has to do with the year 2007. The greatest oil reserves by country or countries as of 2007. Where is all the oil? The little chart I have on the PowerPoint here perhaps will help you. And I won't delay it, but I'll begin by telling you that Saudi Arabia has the largest amount of oil reserves in the amount of billions of barrels... Meaning that they have 262.3 billion barrels of reserves in oil. Secondly is Canada, who has 179.21 billion barrels of reserve oil. 
Iran is third with 136 billion. Iraq is fourth with 115 billion barrels. Kuwait is number five with 101 billion barrels. Then number six is the United Arab Emirates with over 97 billion barrels of oil. Number seven is Venezuela with 80 billion. And then you see the rest. Russia is number eight. Libya is number nine. Nigeria is number 10. Kazakhstan is number 11. And you wonder, what I have wondered. And that is, where does the United States rank in having reserves amount of oil or oil in its country available to it? The United States has a little bit over 21 billion barrel of oil in reserves. Now, that is to help us understand who has control of the world's oil supply. While the chart is up there, let me show you this. Five of the top six nations with the largest proven oil reserves are Arab nations. Look at the chart. Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, and the United Arab Emirates. The United States of America is number 12 on the list of nations. Saudi Arabia has around 262 billion barrels of oil, while the United States has 21 billion. Give this. About 60% of all the known oil reserves in the world lies beneath the sandy, sandy surface of the Middle Eastern countries. Here's something else that's enlightening. When all this oil was being discovered in the Middle East, those nations were not prepared technologically to handle this vast amount of oil being discovered and processed. So America did what America has done for years. They go help somebody else. We had the technology. We had the know-how. We had other kinds of skills and abilities. And so America went to these Middle Eastern nations and they helped them to drill for oil and build the rigs and build the refineries and do the processing and all of it. But since then, all the Middle Eastern oil has now become nationalized. Meaning that it is controlled by the government of those nations. I remember as a boy, because Trinidad is in the Caribbean, and it's off the, of the coast of South America, Venezuela, and one of Trinidad's plentiful resources for a small island is oil. And I remember growing up in Trinidad when Texaco was in, Amer in Trinidad very strong because Texaco brought their know-how to help Trinidad develop and process its oil discoveries. But I've gone back to Trinidad in the last 40 years and Texaco and their sign at gas stations cannot be found. It's all Trinidad now. It's what the Middle East did to America too. Thank you for your help. See you later, alligator. Kind of a little not profound. That means, therefore, that 60% of the world's oil reserves are in the grip of a very small number of Arab rulers. Even the country that is number seven on the list of nations with the largest oil reserves, Venezuela. You see it? Number seven. Listen to me. You read the paper and you watch TV. You know what I'm talking about. Venezuela is no friend of America. The president of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, has repeatedly insulted our government and leaders in our country. If you do your homework and a little studying, you'll find that the president of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, has flown back and forth from Venezuela to the Middle East and more particularly Iran. 
creating alliances and agreements with the Arab nations. He's hoping to bring Arab influence to Latin America and again so build up his stronghold in Latin America and build up his resistance against America. So don't count on Venezuela, even though they're closest to us, and these other nations, to be our friend. America finds itself in an insecure position when it comes to oil reserves. And students of biblical prophecy are seeing how end time events will be concentrated in the Middle East. You know why end time events will be concentrated in the Middle East? Because oil now is the most desirable commodity and resource. And because of the connection of oil to money to power, it all happens in the Middle East. So therefore you've seen that the lion's share of the world's oil is controlled there. Now, all my life I've heard prophecy preaching. And there are preachers who can do it a far lot better than I. But I do remember them saying this. And some of you will remember that we were told that there's coming a day in this world. That civilization as we know it will face a humongous final showdown in the Middle East. We've been told, you've been told, that there's a war to end all war coming. There's a battle of all battles, a battle in the valley of Megiddo and a battle of Armageddon that will take place in the Middle East and more particularly Israel. And maybe you've wondered, why the Middle East? Why not a place like China, for example? Wouldn't that be a place where the war to end all wars would take place because China has the world's largest population? Why not America? Because America has the world's wealth and the world's power militarily. Maybe that's a, maybe someplace in America is where the war to end all war will take place. But that's not what the Bible says. Maybe, maybe Japan. Japan has a lot of ingenuity and know-how. But not there. Uh, maybe India with its masses of millions and its poverty. Maybe that's the place where the war to end all war will take place. But the Bible doesn't speak about that. The Bible speaks about some of the small countries that we know as the Middle East. That will be the primary place where the battle of the ages will be fought. Because it is in that part of the world where the world's thirst for oil will take it. I will lift up another thought. And that is the consumers of the world's oil supply. The vast majority of the world's oil church is consumed by four nations. Russia ranks number four in the consumption of oil in that she consumes 2.92 million barrels a day. Third is the country of Japan with 5.16 million barrels of oil being consumed every day. Second place is that of the country of China. They consume 7.27 million barrels of oil per day. And ranking first place, which probably comes as no surprise to any of you, is the United States of America. We in this country consume 20.7 million barrels of oil per day. In the midst of that picture, China continues to increase her thirst for oil. In the year 2005, four years ago, China was said to have had a total of 20 million automobiles on the road. One investment firm who keeps up with these estimates tell us that by the year 2020, 11 years from now, China will have six times more automobiles on the road than she has now. She'll have 120 million automobiles on the road. How many of you know whether it's an electric car or a regular car, all of the cars need oil? And therefore you see, 
that the consumption will increase. The United States consumes one-fourth of all the oil produced in the world. Now remember this. We are the 12th largest holder of known reserves, but the number one consumer of petroleum products. It is expected that America's oil consumption will rise to 34% in the year 2030. Now, that's oil. What about gasoline and the use of gasoline in America? We consume 43% of the gas refined in the world. And yet America has not built another oil refinery in this country since 1976. Now I want you to stop for a moment and think about this. The United States is number 12 in oil reserves and number 1 in oil consumption. And our demand for oil continues to increase. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that a crisis is looming over us. Let me move you further, please. What about the conflict over the world's oil supply? It's an interesting study. In the year 1973, a group of Arab nations launched an attack on Israel, which came to be known as the Yom Kippur War. One of the results of the Yom Kippur War was that for the first time, Several Arab nations united for a common cause, and that is their hatred of Israel. When that war broke out, we Americans, along with a few other nations, announced our position with regards to Israel and sided with her. Because remember I preached to you last week that the Word of God says... He will bless those nations that bless Israel. And he will curse those nations that curse her. And you need to get that CD or listen to it online. Because I've done a little more study after last week. And I was reading and preparing for this lesson. And I've come to find out. And I try to make sure it's statistically sound. But if you go back in the last 10 to 15 years. And you observe how America, because of political correctness, have tried to pressure Israel into giving up land for peace. And how this is the land that God gave Abraham. And therefore they have a right to it. And America has no right to force Israel in partnership with Arab nations or Palestinians to cause them to give up land. Because it's God's land. Actually Israel, I told you last week, only inhabits one fifth, one twelfth of all the land that God's really given them. But here's the point. When I look at American history in the last 10 or 15 years, every time we compromise, some natural or other disaster hit our shores. But in 1973, when the Yom Kippur War broke out, we helped Israel and the Arab nations realize in order to abort our assistance from Israel, they came together and in October 17, 1973, they started what was known then as the Arab oil embargo. I, was, I knew I was driving. I was a teenager then and I was driving and I remember that the price of oil quadrupled. quadrupled. It went to $12 a barrel. That was high at that time. And all across America, some of you remember going to gas stations and you had to 
wait long in line, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. And it wasn't because of the price wasn't the limitation, because now we found that people pay $5 or more a gallon of gas. It wasn't the price that was the issue, is there was no gasoline, because the Arab nation decided we're going to put pressure on America and the Netherlands in particular if they keep supporting Israel. And that's why I'm trying to tell you that oil has become a weapon. On January 20th, 1980, pardon me, January 23, 1980, in his State of the Union address, then President Jimmy Carter made an announcement that changed America's foreign policy as it pertains to the Persian Gulf. It later became known as the Carter Doctrine. But then President Jimmy Carter made a statement relative to America's dependence on oil and the source of our oil being the Middle East. He said, any nation's attempt to limit the free flow of oil through the Persian Gulf will be met by American resistance to include military force. Jimmy Carter said, we have such a need for oil and we don't have enough of it that we need the avenues, the Suez Canal, the Gulf, to be free for commerce and shipping. Well, it wasn't too many years after that was challenged. Because in 1990, Saddam Hussein and Iraq invaded Kuwait. Now, how many of you remember that? The Gulf War. And Saddam Hussein got the small of the treasures by going in Kuwait. And then President H.W. Bush, George H.W. Bush Sr. released troops to go to the Middle East and to defend Kuwait. But it wasn't only about the defense of Kuwait. It was about the Carter Doctrine. Because Saddam Hussein wouldn't be happy to just get Kuwait. Bordering Kuwait was the country of Saudi Arabia, which has the world's largest reserve of oil. And Saddam Hussein was thinking, I'll get the little prize Kuwait, but I'll get the grand prize Saudi Arabia. And then I will have command of the world because the whole world needs oil. And therefore, the Gulf War became the first war in history ever fought over the issue of oil. You still with me? 2001, September, you remember that, when terrorists attacked America. And then not long after that, it was discovered that Saddam Hussein was using money from the sale of oil to help fund terrorism around the world, and particularly in America. It was discovered that other Arab nations was using the sale of oil to carry out some of the extreme attacks of extremist Muslims who wanted to destroy our safety and security in Israel. And so in 2003, America invaded Iraq. And while it was about terrorism, it was also about oil. Do you see the importance, church? Now, let me move you further. I talked to you about the control, the consumers. I talked to you about the conflict. Let me give you another thought. The concerns about the world's oil supply. Several questions need to be answered. Number one, are we running out of oil? Well, it depends on who you listen to. There are those in the Middle East itself. Some of the 
Ministers of oil, they call them. They, they, they call ministers of departments and different things. And, 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 and some of the people involved in Middle Eastern oil has said to us that the world supply of oil is sufficient to power global economies at the present rate of consumption for another 140 years. We have that, the world has that much oil, they say. But here's the problem. We don't have access to that oil. We in America are consuming oil faster than we are producing it. For example, in the year 2005, four years ago, the world used more oil that was produced in the year 2006. Now here's a simple energy rule that all of us can understand. Energy use cannot exceed energy supply. Well, let me put it in a a more candid way. You cannot... Keep spending money out of your checkbook without putting money in the bank account. It's going to catch up with you. I think you understood that better. Yeah. Just because you got checks left in your checkbook don't give you the right to keep writing if you ain't got money left in the account because they're going to come and take you to jail and our ministry for the jail ministry will explode. Are we running out of oil? Here's another question. Can we protect... Our sources of oil. You see, our dependence on foreign oil has become a major concern. Why? Because the oil lies under the control of nations with which we as a country have strained or hostile relationships. If you got something, pardon me, if you need something your enemies got, it's not likely they won't give it to you just because they're having a nice day. Now, we've declared ourselves enemies of those who've declared themselves enemies of us. The radical extremist Muslims. But because Muslims stick together, it appears, we have a need to protect our sources of oil. A man by the name of Paul Roberts wrote this book several years ago. He said, the name of the book is The End of Oil. And the subtitle is this. On the edge of a perilous new world. Here's what he suggests. About protecting our oil. If we can. He suggests that perhaps the greatest casualty of the Iraq war. We're still fighting it. Perhaps the greatest casualty of the Iraq war. May be the very idea of energy security. Because he goes on to say that six years after being in Iraq. The strongest military power in the world. The United States. Six years after being in Iraq have found ourselves having paying a larger record amount for oil than any other time in history. And even with our military power there, we have not been able to secure oil for our supply. Here's another question. Is there any oil in Israel? Well, they are our only true friend in the Middle East. Now, Saudi Arabia has a relationship with us, and Kuwait has a relationship with us, but you'd think, you know, that we could depend on our one true staunch friend in the Middle East, Israel, if they had oil. Golda Meir, once prime minister of Israel, kind of a feisty lady and a good prime minister. She's going on to be with the Lord, but Golda Meir used to laugh and joke and say this. She says, the one thing we Israelites have against Moses is this. He drug us for 40 years through the desert 
to take us to the one place in the Middle East where there is no oil. <laughs> he said it would be a land of milk and honey. He didn't say anything about oil, did he? But listen, just for your expanding of your thinking, okay? Just, let me just expand your horizon just a little bit. Ah, minds have been because of what I've studied. And, and there's so much here and I'll have to leave out some. But there is that likelihood that there could be oil in Israel. Uh, let, let, me just, let me just give you a little expansion of thinking. I'm not prophesying. I'm just going to give you in Ezekiel, particularly chapter 36, verse 11. The Word of God says that Israel, that God will do better for Israel in her latter days than at her beginning. God said to Israel, and you've known that they've gone through hundreds of years until 1948, May 14, when they became their own sovereign nation. Prior to that, since the year 70 AD to 1948, they went through almost total extinction. But God said, I'll bring you back. And uh, latter will be greater than the past. I feel a whoop, glory coming on. And so, Israel thinks, can we as a nation have greater prosperity than when Solomon was king of Israel? Do you remember when Solomon, the Bible says, was king of Israel, gold was plentiful and silver was plentiful and, and there was wealth everywhere? Well, God can bless his people ever how he wants to. Now, let, let, let's just hypothesize a little bit here. Just imagine if there could be a large, large, large pool of oil discovered in Israel. Maybe comparable to some of our surrounding Arab neighbors. Can you imagine how Israel could be independently, economically advantaged? She could finance the resettlement of the Palestinians. She could supply housing for the Jews and the Arabs and the West Bank, East Bank, and any place else they want to live. There's a man by the name of John Brown. Kind of simple name. I didn't make it up. But actually, there's a person by the name of John Brown who is a Christian. And he is the founder of a company known as Zion Oil and Gas. And Mr. John Brown says he has biblical evidence for there being oil in Israel. And he uses this, these references, Deuteronomy 33 and 24. And he also uses Genesis 49 and 22 where Jacob blesses his sons before his death. And, uh, and you know how the Bible talks about how God mapped out certain geographical areas in the promised land for each tribe of Israel. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Well, Mr. John Brown says, based on those biblical references, which speaks about the tribe of Asher. In Deuteronomy 33 and 24, the Bible says that Asher will be blessed, the tribe of Asher, and she will dip her foot in oil. And then in Genesis 49, it speaks about Joseph and one of his sons being Manasseh. You know what I'm talking about? And how Manasseh blessings will be deep. And I'm just saying what I've read here. Now, I'm just not prophesying, but I'm just giving you something to think about. The possibility is there. And, and, and it is told that according to where the foot of Asher intersects the head of Manasseh in the geographical map of Israel, according to Mr. John Brown studying the Bible in the Old Testament, he says, that's where the oil will be in Israel. 
And he has people who believe in him because they have uh, submitted to him millions of dollars to do drilling in 95,000 acres of land. Well, I don't know if there's oil in Israel in that abundance, but there are two things I know that if there's oil in Israel. If there's an oil in Israel, number one, God put it there. And if there's oil in Israel, number two, the Jews are going to find it. Yeah. They don't need Americans to help them. You know anything about the Jews? They will find it. Somebody give me a little cutesy last Sunday, a little kind of little line about giving, you know, because you know I preached on tithing and giving for a while. And, and, and it told about two guys who got stranded on a deserted island. Uh, I think their plane went down and they, they got stranded and all. And, uh, and they, they just didn't have any means of uh, trying to communicate with the homeland. Tell them where they are. And one guy was terribly worried. I mean, he was worried as he could be about never being found, never being seen by his family again, wasting away and dying on this deserted island. This is the way his life is going to end. And the other guy says, hey, 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 they'll find us. I'm a millionaire. I'm a millionaire, he said. And I'm sure I'm going to be found, so don't you worry. And the other guy said, well, what makes you so sure? He said, I'm a millionaire and I'm a tither. And I guarantee you, my pastor will find me. (laughs) He's right. If I'm his pastor, I'm looking for him right now. If there's oil in Israel, the Jews will find it. The only no Americans to come. Now, let me see if I can wrap it up in just a few more thoughts here. How does the oil situation affect our future? Well, the Bible speaks of an emergence of prophetic alliances in the last days. The Bible speaks in the book of Ezekiel of a day when Russia would attack Israel. Isn't that what the Bible says? The prophet Ezekiel spoke of a coalition, a group of nations joining with Russia and focusing their military aggression against Israel. Here's what the Lord says about Impending judgment on Israel. Ezekiel 38, 4 and 5. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shields and helmets coming against Israel. Catch this. Did you know that on March 21, 1935, the country of Persia... Changed its name from Persia to Iran. March 1935. The nation no longer was referred to as Persia, but Iran. Let me tell you something else about Iran and its history with its neighbor Russia. For over 2,500 years, Iran and Russia, Iran formerly being Persia, had no alliances They hated each other, despised each other. But because prophetic events are unfolding in your lifetime and mine, Iran and Russia have now come together to form a military alliance and even an oil alliance to strengthen their political position in the world. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean that recently... Russia signed a $1 billion deal to sell missiles and other weapons to Iran. The counterpart of our CIA is Israel's ISF. And Israel's ISF study and research and their own knowledge 
of protecting their country, Israel, has discovered and found out that Russia has trained over 1,000 nuclear scientists from Iran in Russia. Over 1,000. There is a madman who is the president of Iran. Read your paper. Listen to the news. His one passion is to introduce the coming of the Mahdi, their Messiah. And he believes that to hasten the coming of their Mahdi, their Messiah, it means the destruction of Israel. And while this president of Iran tells the world that they're only declare, uh, developing nuclear power for generating electricity, etc., it's a lie because they can't be trusted. They are generating nuclear power for the destruction of Israel and its allies, i.e. America. There's another kind of thing that affects us, this oil thing. The emergence of petroleum alliances. Not only will there be military and economic alliances, but uh, I said just a moment ago, and I'm trying to hasten here, but uh, I said moments ago that Saudi Arabia and Kuwait have a good relationship with America in the midst of all the other Arab nations. But you must remember they are Muslims before they are friends of America, okay? And their true friendship with us has not really been tested to the limit yet. When it comes to choosing sides because of their passion for Islam and the deception of their religion, they will choose their own people. So, how shall we live? Did I tell you all this to scare the daylights out of you? No. But if it scares you and you get saved... Might not be all that bad, although God... I, I, what I'm saying to you is this. You and I could have been born in the 18th century, but we were not. You and I could have been born in the last century, but we were not. There is a reason why God allowed you and I to be born in the very time of history when the unfolding of world events will usher the return of His Son. We are a privileged people. Because you remember I told you Israel became a nation on May 14, 1948. And we are part of that generation that saw and see the fig tree blooming. Oh, I feel it coming on now. I'm going from teaching to... to... Pastor, what am I supposed to do? Glad you asked. Keep on waiting. I know the world is saying, I heard it ever since I was a child. I heard the preachers and the teachers, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. He hasn't come back yet, and maybe He's not coming. But I want to tell you, that's also a sign of the coming of the Lord. Because in the last days, there'll be scoffers and mockers saying, where is the coming of the Lord? And they may say it, it doesn't change His plan. He is coming anyhow. Somebody praise Him. Yeah. So Matthew 24, 32 and 33, look on the screen. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things, what things? When you hear of war and rumors of wars. When you hear of pestilence. Let me tell you this. I won't exploit it, but I've got to tell you this. This swine flu that's now been changed to another name more appropriate. I'm not exploiting it. I just want to be biblical. It's part of the signs of the times. Okay? Because in spite of all of our medical know-how and scientific know-how, it baffles the CDC and all scientists. Because the Bible says in the last days there will be pestilences. Okay? So, so I'm just telling you, get ready. When you see these things, what things? 
When you see men become lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. When you see one state after another state after another state in America giving approval to a man marrying a man and a woman marrying a woman. These are the days that announce the coming of the Lord. This is not happening by chance. We are rapidly moving towards the coming of the Lord. And you and I better be ready because soon and very soon we're going to leave this place. Let me show you something. Keep waiting. In James 5, 7 and 8, the Bible says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives, oh, the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Anybody feel what I'm feeling? Listen to me. This time is springtime in America. People are putting out seedlings and saplings and seeds. And they wish it would grow overnight, but that's not the way God does things. They got to pray for the spring rain. They got to pray for the ground to be nourished. The farmer have to wait appropriate weeks and months. But if he takes care of the ground and is patient, a harvest will come and he will get a livelihood. I'm telling you, I know you're praying and you're believing God and you're going to church. And the more you try to get closer to God, the more the devil shoots its fiery darts at you but I'm here to tell you pray on believe on give on serve on the Lord is coming hurriedly keep on waiting Matthew 24 and 36 but of that day and hour no one knows not even the angels in heaven but my father only if they tell you the Lord is out there in California don't go because he's been trying to get to California for hundreds of years and they won't let him in If I tell you the Lord is New York City, go see him. He won't be there either. He's been trying to get there for a while. If I tell you he's in the east, west, north, or south, don't go. Well, Pastor, how in the wide world will I know he's come? <laughs> nah. What if, Pastor, I got, I'm hearing impaired. What if I don't hear the trumpet? <laughs> Pastor, what if I'm inside and I don't see the light? How will I know he comes? None of those things you need to have. They will accompany it. But you know how you know he comes? Woo! When your feet leaves the ground, there will be a catching away. You look down and your foot won't be on the ground anymore because you'll be snatched away at the sound of the trumpet in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The Lord will come again. Somebody give him praise. <laughs> My Lord. I'm thinking the third sermon, I'll pass out, but I'll pass out happy. Keep on working. Everybody say, keep on working. Jesus himself came on a mission from God, and he wasn't lazy about it. He didn't just wait for the day he would go to the cross and start serving the Father and doing miracles and signs and wonders. Why, he awaited the mission of the cross. He said in John 9 and 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while to this day. For the night comes and no one shall work. Matthew 24, 46, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing, working. Somebody say an amen. Let me, let me show you something here. You know, you hear all these weirdos. You probably think I'm one too, but that's okay. I'll risk it. Jesus is coming. Get you, get you some cash. Get you some potatoes and carrots and soups and whatever. Get you a white gown and go hide in a hole in Utah. Wait for the coming of the Lord. Bunch of nonsense. God never said that. Get out there and... No. You'll die out there waiting if Jesus decides to tarry. That's not what he said to do. 
He said, work. Pardon the bluntness, but the world is still going to hell in a handbasket. And you, you and I are called to be ambassadors. We are called to be salt that seasons the blandness of this world. Help me preach here. We are called to be light, a city set on a hill. This is not a time for us to put on a cape and buy some groceries and take some cash and hide in a hole somewhere. This is a time to pray for holy boldness and, and win our sons and our daughters and our moms. and our da- This is a time to evangelize the world. Keep watching. Keep watching. <laughs> Luke twenty one twenty eight. Now when these things begin to happen, look up. Lift up your heads. Because your redemption draws nigh. Before you start playing, let, let me, I got a little thought going here. I searched and I searched for the road that leads to glory. I wondered if I'd ever find a way. I sat down to rest, for my feet had grown so weary. And then I heard a voice within me say, You've got to keep on walking, keep on walking, walking in the light of the Lord. You get to heaven someday, better get in the right way. Walking in the light of the Lord, you've got to keep on walking, keep on walking, walking in the light of the Lord. You get to heaven someday, better get in the right way, walking in the light of the Lord. And I got one more thing to tell you. Knowing the time, knowing the time, it's approaching 1230, May 3, 2009. It is high time to wake out of sleep. For now, this second, is our salvation nearer than we first believe. The night of wickedness and sin is far spent. God's fed up. The day is at hand. If he's so fed up, Pastor, why didn't he come yet? Because it's called grace. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Pastor, one day I'm going to get it all together. No, this is the day. Pastor, one day I'm going to forgive, I'm going to repent, I'm going to quit uh, rendezvousing with the person that I shouldn't be rendezvousing one day. No. See, here's a, here's, a, here's a bottom line. He's coming, but he hadn't told us when. But whoever told you that you'll be alive when he comes? Whoever told you that you might not meet death in your youth or in your young adult? Or in your middle age. See, millions, myriads of millions have gone waiting for his coming. And if he chooses to extend grace, some of us will go before he comes. So the point of this is one of both ways you're going to go.
you're going to be called. Either up in heaven because you're ready and you're raptured while you're alive, he comes. Or you're going to go by way of the grave. So what do you want the Lord to find you doing when he comes? Bow your heads. Bow your heads. I wouldn't let a girlfriend keep me out of heaven. I wouldn't let a boyfriend keep me out of heaven. I don't care how much you love that person. I wouldn't let shacking up and living in adultery or fornication keep me out of heaven. I wouldn't let anything keep me out of heaven. Because the only thing that will last is the soul that you have. I wouldn't let a house, a car, I wouldn't let clothing, awards, education, prestige, what somebody thinks about me or what they don't think about me. I wouldn't let any of those things keep me out of heaven. I'm serious as I'm standing here. If you are not saved, you need to be saved right now. This is your moment. This is your chance. All of heaven is recording this moment. And what you do with it if you're not saved. Pastor Allen, I am not ready to die because I'm not saved. I'm not serving Jesus. And I'm not ready for the rapture if it took place today, Pastor, for the same reason. And I've heard the truth. And I may not understand it all, Pastor. But I do understand that Jesus loves me. And he died in my place. And he's prepared a place called heaven. If I will serve him, he'll give me power to serve him. I want to be saved, Pastor. Raise your hands. I want to be saved. Hold it up. Hold it, hold it up. Hold it up. Come on. Don't be ashamed. This ain't nothing to be ashamed about. This ain't nothing to be, This is the greatest decision of your life. Matter of fact, if you raised your hands, put them down now. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I am going to ask you today to publicly declare whose side you're on. If you raised your hand, you stand up to your feet now. I want to be saved. Encourage them, church. Stand up. Stand up. If you raise your hands, you want to rededicate your life. I want to come back to God. Stand up. Stand up right now. Stand up. Stand up. I'm not ashamed, Pastor, to say whose side I'm on. Okay. Remain standing. Everybody else, bow your head. Everybody else, repeat. You who are standing and you who are sitting, repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for another chance. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I confess, Jesus that I'm a sinner I cannot save myself neither can anyone else save me I ask you today to forgive me of my sins wash me clean cleanse me from sin and come and live in my heart take possession of me Jesus give me a love for your word Give me a love for righteousness. Give me a love for other people. And beginning today, I want to serve you. The Word of God says, If I confess my sins, that you are faithful and just, to forgive me of my sins, and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, I confess, and now I believe, I am forgiven. Thank you for saving me. Amen.
Everybody else, give him thanks. Everybody else. Come on, come on, everybody else. Help me praise the Lord. Yes. Yes. Somebody else.